It was amazing. Just Riley and me forever. Thirty-three seconds. I'm sadness. Oh, hello. I, I'm Joy. So, can I just, if you could, I just want to fix that. <laughs> Thanks. And that was just the beginning. Headquarters only got more crowded from there. Very nice. Okay, looks like you got this. Very good. Oh, that's right, turn. Oh, look out! That's fear. He's really good at keeping Riley safe. Easy, huh? Hi, back! Oh, we're good. We're good. Ooh, Thank you. Good Thank job. you very much. And we're back. <laughs> Here we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Think it's safe? What is it? Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned. Physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! Yes! Well, I just saved our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this! Comes an airplane. Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. And you've met Sadness. She, well, she. I'm not actually sure what she does. And I've checked, there's no place for her to go, so she's good, we're good, it's all great. Anyway, these are Riley's memories, and they're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. It really has been just an awesome week here. Uh, VBS has been exceptional. Our theme this year, Built for God, and so all the incredible volunteers who took this vision to try to turn this place into a giant Legoland, it was just absolutely awesome. You heard some of the numbers that uh, Christy was pointing out, and I want to talk about that just a little bit. We had more kids than we've ever had come to Bible school here in Ankeny, over 9,000 across all of Hope's campuses. We also had more volunteers than we've ever had, and that's, that's really important too. Two reasons why I want to talk about the number of volunteers, because it means you get it. You understand the mission and the vision of this place, to reach out to the world around us, including the world of preschool and elementary kids, and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ with them. And because you get it, because you get that vision, it's going to actually make it sustainable from year to year. <laughs> it is exhausting and a ton of work and an absolutely joy-filled thing to put on a week like this. But we're excited about what God has in store as we keep doing this. Um, Throughout the uh, month of July, we've been focused in on the book of Esther, and we've tried to keep it as real as we possibly can because the reality is there are a lot of things in the book of Esther that are not awesome. Uh, just kind of to recap everything that we've been talking about so far, Esther is living in exile, and she is one of hundreds of girls who are kind of led through this process to become the next queen of the Persian Empire, 
And it's not an overstatement to say they are abused along the way. Some really bad things happen. King Xerxes is the king. He is not a good guy, but as bad as he is, uh, Haman is even worse. And Haman is this uh, prime minister, second in command kind of guy, and he loves having power. He wants people to bow down to him everywhere he goes. But Esther's adopted father, Mordecai, refuses to do this won't bow down to Haman, and so Haman hates Mordecai, and when he finds out Mordecai is a Jew, Haman decides, I hate all of the Jews, and we should wipe them out. And he goes to the king, King Xerxes, and they pass a law that says on one day, one day only, it's going to be legal in the kingdom to kill the Jews and to take their property. And they, to decide what day to do this, they cast lots, which is kind of the Old Testament way of uh, rolling dice. They cast lots, and they end up picking a day The 13th day of the 12th month is when they're going to purge the Jews from the empire. Mordecai finds out about it. He goes to Esther, and Esther decides she needs to do something to save her people. But she knows she doesn't really have the power to do that. It's actually against the law for her to go and talk to her husband, the king, unless the king has said, I want to talk to you. But Esther knows she needs to go to the king, and so she actually risks her life to go and have a conversation with her husband. Thankfully, uh, King Xerxes does not kill her. This is what he says in Esther chapter 5. What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. He's willing to give her half the kingdom. She says, that's not what I'm interested in. She wants to throw a party, a small party. Just three people are invited. Queen Esther, King Xerxes, and Haman. She wants to invite Haman to this party. And now remember, at this point in the story, Esther has keeping her identity hidden. Uh, Her husband does not know that she is Jewish. Haman does not know that she is Jewish. And so Xerxes says, great idea. They send the invitation to Haman. As you can imagine, he's super excited about this. He gets to be the guest of honor at a party with just the king and the queen. He tells his wife this news, and she is like, you have found favor in the eyes of the royal couple. And so they decide, "Let's, let's work our favor to our advantage. We hate this guy Mordecai. We passed the law that we can kill him on the 13th day of the 12th month. Because we have this favor with the king, how about we ask him, can we just kill Mordecai tomorrow? And so he shows up at the party wanting to ask the king uh, if he can do this. And Esther kind of throws a wet blanket on the celebration when she cries out to the king, somebody is trying to kill me, somebody is trying to kill my people, the king is flabbergasted, who in the world would try to kill my wife? And let's read together what Esther says to the king, Esther chapter 7, verse 6. It's on the screen, read it out loud with me. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And all of a sudden the tables are turned. And now King Xerxes takes Haman and does to Haman what Haman wanted to do to Mordecai. And Queen Esther says to the king, can we get rid of this law now that says it's going to be okay on the 13th day of the 12th month to kill all the Jews? And Xerxes is such a buffoon. He believes he's God. So he says, no, once a law is made a law, we can't rescind it because that would look like I made a mistake and I don't make any mistakes. So they pass another law that says on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jews can defend themselves. And that's what happens. Instead of being wiped out, the bravery, the courage, the heroism of Esther brings salvation to God's people. And then they had a party to celebrate it. The party is called Purim, based on that word for lots. And Purim happens over the course of two days, 
on the 14th and 15th day of the 12th month. They celebrate Purim. They've been celebrating it every year since the days of Esther. And here's what the celebration is all about. It commemorates a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned into gladness, and their mourning into joy. Now remember, the 12th month for us is December, uh, but in Esther's calendar, they had a lunar calendar, so the 12th month is not December. The 12th month actually happens in the springtime. Uh, I happened to be visiting Israel last spring during the 12th month when the people of Israel were celebrating Purim for like the 2,500th time. And it was a really interesting time to be in Jerusalem. We saw all sorts of interesting things like this apartment building. You know, at Christmas time, sometimes people will decorate their homes to get into the holiday spirit. Getting into the holiday spirit for the celebration of Purim in Jerusalem They took Haman and his seven sons and they hang him on the wall outside of their apartment building. A little different kind of uh, decorations for the holiday spirit, don't you think? Uh, Sabbath day is very important to the people of Israel. And so the Sabbath that occurs during the celebration of Purim is really important. Hundreds of thousands of people are coming into the city of Jerusalem. And on uh, Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday. So Friday afternoon, leading into the celebration of Purim, we went and we visited the old market in Jerusalem. Here's our tour guide, Stav, kind of explaining everything to us, where everything is, where our hotel is, because he's just dropping us off there and we have to walk back to the hotel. I've never seen streets crowded the way they were crowded in the old market of Jerusalem as people are getting everything they need to celebrate Purim. You just look at all the people. I mean, it was next to impossible to move through this crowd And if you could look closely, you would see some people are wearing costumes. You see people wearing costumes in there. When we got away from that crowd, we saw people walking toward the market and we saw costume after costume after costume. And you might wonder, what do costumes have to do with the story of Esther or the celebration of Purim? Well, it has everything to do with the reading of the Megillah. Uh, Megillah is just a fancy word. It's the Hebrew word that means scroll. So maybe you've heard about the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. The Bible was originally written down not in books, but in scrolls. And so the scroll of Esther is simply referred to as the Megillah. And part of the celebration of Purim every year is you gather together, often in your family, and you read through the Megillah. You read through the story of Esther from verse 1 to the very last verse. All of these kids in here, isn't this just awesome? And we're going to talk about how awesome it is. It actually fits in perfectly with the message that kids are going absolutely bonkers in here. Anyway, you read through the family Megillah, and it's usually one or two people reading through it. And, you know, you, you, you turn it kind of into a performance. And so you have a different voice for Esther than you have for Haman. Or sometimes the people would even put on masks. And then you'll know, now I'm portraying Esther, and now I'm portraying Xerxes or Mordecai or whoever it is. So these costumes, right? Remember Esther, last week we learned it actually means hidden, to hide or to conceal. That's what the word Esther actually means. And, and we've been talking about the name of God doesn't show up anywhere in this book of the Bible, that God is hidden, God is concealed in this, God is costumed in this. And so that's why costumes are a part of it. The other cool tradition when you read through the Megillah Anytime you get to the name of Haman, 
the people boo or yell really loud. They bring noisemakers and they shake the noisemakers to drown out the name of the adversary, the enemy of the Jewish people. So one night we walked from our hotel down to this shopping and um, dining district. And in the middle of all the restaurants and shops, they had set up a reading of the Megillah and a crowd was there to listen to the story of Esther. So here's about a 30 second clip and even though you don't understand Hebrew, see if you can tell when they say Haman. Take a look. And it just went on like that. It doesn't actually take very long to uh, read through the Megillah, but you already know that because you've been reading through it multiple times this month, haven't you? Anyway, um, it was really cool to be there for that particular time as they're celebrating uh, this, this thing that they've celebrated for 2,500 years. At Hope, one of our sayings is, uh, there's no party like a Jesus party. Let's all just say that together. There's no party like a Jesus party because the Jesus party won't stop until you're so exhausted you just fall asleep on the floor at, at VBS. Or that might be a, a foreshadowing of me in about three hours. Anyway, um, we believe there's something very important biblically about celebration. Now, you look at the Old Testament, God gives Moses all the commandments you know, all the do's and do nots, shalls and shall nots, but also God gives commandments on celebrating. Seven key holidays for the people of Israel to celebrate. Every year, some of them last seven days. Celebration is a big part of what it means to be people of faith. And you look at the life of Jesus, you see Jesus showing up at parties and celebrations all the time. And sometimes people accuse Jesus of being just a little bit too joyful. Just tone it down a notch, would you please, Jesus? Here's what Jesus says to his disciples, uh, John chapter 16, verse 20. We'll put it on the screen. Read this with me. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn into wonderful joy. John chapter 16, it's taking place just several hours before Jesus is arrested. It's taking place about 24 hours before Jesus is killed. And so this statement, he's talking about a very specific reality. I'm about to die and you will grieve when I'm crucified and die on the cross. But your grief will suddenly turn into wonderful joy on the third day, on Easter, when I'm raised from death to life. He's talking about that specific reality, but he's also talking about something bigger than that. That part of what it means to be people of faith, to put our faith in Jesus, is to believe what happens to Jesus will also happen to us. So however much time we get on this, this earth, it's going to end with our death. And it's going to be sad and we'll experience all kinds of loss. We, we grieve when people we love dies, but Jesus reminds us he doesn't stay dead. On the third day, the power of God raises Jesus from death to life. And the same thing can happen for us if we put our faith in Jesus. A chapter earlier, John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about joy and, and this reality that you don't actually have to wait until after you die to experience the joy that Jesus has for you. I've told you all these things, I've been teaching you all these things, Jesus says, so that you will have my joy and my joy will fill you and your joy will overflow, Jesus says. 
I want you to experience a kind of joy right now as you're living your life, a joy that overflows out of you. And isn't that what we want? We want lives that overflow with joy. This movie, uh, Inside Out, a Disney Pixar film that I think is just brilliant, the way that they explore and examine the importance of emotions to human life. The clip we watched at the beginning of the message is narrated by Joy. And Joy, her job is to make sure Riley, the little girl that this emotion of joy lives inside of, make sure Riley has a happy life. And so you see her talking about at the end of uh, that clip, here's this wall of memories. Anytime something happens in Riley's life, it creates a memory. There's this wall of memories. And Joy says, you will notice almost all of them are happy. I don't mean to brag. And part of what Joy believes her job is, is to make sure Riley's life remains unstained by sadness. Like sadness is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Jesus would disagree with that idea. Yes, Jesus wants our lives to be overflowing with joy. He wants to give us his joy. But the scripture is clear about this. Jesus is a man of sorrow. He's acquainted with grief. And so Jesus doesn't think of joy as something to avoid. Joy as something that, you know, is like a horrible thing for us. In fact, one of the lessons that the life of Jesus teaches us might be this lesson. The degree to which we're willing to enter pain is the degree to which we're able to experience joy. The degree to which we're willing to enter pain is the degree to which we're able to experience joy. Let me see if I can explain what I mean by this. If you want to know what overflowing joy looks like, there's all kinds of pictures of Vacation Bible School of kids who are just overflowing with joy. Joy is abundant during Vacation Bible School week. And a lot of people have written a lot of books trying to help us understand why is it that it seems like kids have a greater capacity for joy than adults have. Here's my take on it. Children are born into a world of freedom and grace. Freedom and grace, particularly as it relates to their emotions. Uh, When kids, they they get to experience, they get to feel whatever it is they feel, and the littler they are, the cuter we think it is. And we just give them this permission, we give them this grace. Even if they're experiencing or feeling an emotion that we we end up putting in the category of a bad emotion like fear or sadness, the littler kids are, we just allow them to be sad. We allow them to, to feel fear and, and we like comfort them in the midst of that. It plays out all week long at Vacation Bible School Week. You know, we've got our costumes on, our outfits on, and we're trying to greet the kids as they come in. We're standing at the door waving and wanting to give out high fives. Early in the week, the kids see us and they're just kind of overwhelmed by everything and they stay safely hidden behind the trusted adult who's bringing them in. They're like, stay away from that weird guy in the costume. By the end of the week, that changes. So on Thursday, I'm standing at the front door greeting kids, giving them high fives as they come in. And as I'm giving the high fives, all of a sudden I feel like something just lock around my leg. And I look down, it's a little preschool girl with blonde curly hair looking up at me with just this huge smile on her face. And she says, I saw you on TV. Because we do the skits up here and they have the cameras rolling and then they stream it down into the harbor for the preschool kids and the uh, kindergartners because it's not quite as overwhelming for them uh, to to watch it actually on a screen. So she says, I saw you on TV. And then she says, my name is Claire. C-L-A-I-R-E. Gave me a big smile, waved, and walked away. That was Claire. 
So, so the experience that we have at Vacation Bible School is if kids come in overwhelmed, scared, nervous, anxious, we give them grace and permission to feel whatever they're feeling. And if they're filled with excitement and joy and you know, happiness, we give them permission to feel what they're feeling. But somewhere along the lines in each of our lives, as we move from childhood to adulthood, that gets taught out of us. And we learn it's actually not okay to feel whatever it is we're feeling. And so we learn that certain things, certain emotions, and again, part of what we see, why? It's because we adults, we're embarrassed by how our kids are feeling. And what might other people be thinking? And so if they're being too excited in church, we tell them to sit still. And if they're crying in church, we got to drag them out of here because it looks bad about us. And it's not about, and so kids learn the important lesson. There are certain emotions I need to hide. There are certain emotions that I, I'm not free to express. There are certain emotions that are bad. And we, we figure this, we learn this along the way. And we end up not being able to enter into some really important... Someone will say to us as adults, hey, how are you doing? And, and we learn along the way, they don't really want to know how we're doing. They just want us to say everything is awesome, even if everything is not awesome. They don't want to sit down and listen to how things are actually going. And so one of the beautiful things about this movie, Inside Out, is they, they make sadness the hero. So Riley moves from Minnesota to San Francisco, and her parents are super excited about the move. It's this new job and opportunities for them, and Riley tries to be excited about it, but the reality is she's sad and scared and alone. And as much as she tries to embrace this transition in their life, things just get worse and worse and worse. They get so bad, she believes the only solution is to run away from home and to go back to her old life in Minnesota. And that's when sadness comes to the rescue. Take a look. Oh, great. What, what do you mean it's stuck? Now what? No, 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 no. What is this?
Riley needs you. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 that's probably familiar to a lot of you. It's a story about Jesus blessing the little children. And I'm going to read through it. And as you listen to it, I want you to listen to it through this lens of the importance of the emotional reality of our life, the fullness of our emotional life. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Uh, here's a question for you. Would you say you are happier today than you've ever been in your life? Would you say you laugh more today than you've laughed at any other time in your life? Jesus says, I want to put my joy in you, and I want to fill you up with my joy so much that it overflows. And the Greek word that Jesus uses there could be translated complete or perfect. I, I want to start this process in you, Jesus says, this process of being filled with joy, and I want to carry this process out into its completion until joy is perfected in you. And so part of what that means is the longer we follow after Jesus, the longer we follow after Jesus, the more joy-filled we should become. <laughs> the longer we follow after Jesus, the more joy-filled we should become. I don't know about you, I don't think that's the reputation we have as Christians as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ. There's a Twitter account I love to follow. It's called Church Curmudgeon. Here's what Church Curmudgeon tweeted out last week after worship. Nobody goes to second service anymore. Too crowded. Like so many people are going to it. He says nobody goes anymore because it's too crowded. He's looking for something to complain about. How about you? Do you come to worship to worship? Or do you come to worship to look for something to complain about? Do you come to experience the joy, the fullness of life that God has for you? Or do you come to cross your arms and look around and point your fingers, and not just at worship, but just anywhere in life? I mean, that's the reputation that we have as followers of Jesus. We're the grumpy ones who love to whine and complain and blame Nobody says, oh yeah, those Christians, they're the ones who are always overflowing with joy. But that's who Jesus wants us to be. That's who Jesus wants us to become, people whose lives are characterized by an abundance of joy. 
Jesus says, I want you to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And there's a connection between receiving the kingdom of God like a child and our ability to be people marked with joy. Because somewhere along the lines, we learn that there are certain emotions it's not okay. There, there, there's a part of us that we have to cover up, that we have to hide, that we have to pretend away when there are things that hurt, when there are things that are not good. We have to kind of pretend like, just forget about that, ignore that, focus in on everything that's going great. We got church curmudgeon Twitter sites. I thought, well, probably there's also a joy-filled Christian Twitter account, right? So I typed in joy-filled Christian into the Twitter search bar, and here's what came up. The account doesn't exist. The account doesn't exist. And I think that tells us something important, that maybe it's time for us to rethink the way in which we are receiving the kingdom of God. How are you receiving the kingdom of God? If you've been a Christian for a while, perhaps you're familiar with the phrase, God is good all the time. And if you're familiar with that phrase, maybe you know there's kind of an echo to it. And all the time, God is good. I I want to be clear about this. I actually believe that this is true. God is good all of the time. There's never a time when God is anything but good. What I want to just kind of point out is I'm afraid, I think the problem with a phrase like this, more often than not, more often than not, when a Christian says God is good all the time, they say it as a way of avoiding pain. They say it as a way of pretending away whatever bad thing is happening in their life. Yeah, I got this really horrible diagnosis, but God is good all the time. Yeah, mom and dad are moving us somewhere, but God is good all the time. It's a way of pretending everything is awesome, even when everything is not awesome. And and the problem with that is it's those bad things. It's the pain, it's the suffering, it's the hardship of life where God can enter and heal. And so when we avoid it, when we pretend it away, part of what we're doing is we say we don't really need God. So think about this phrase I've been wanting us to think about through the course of this message. Next slide. The degree to which we are willing to enter pain is the degree to which we're able to experience joy. Think about this phrase in the context of the story of Esther. We see Esther and Mordecai and and the Jewish people experiencing a lot of pain throughout the first six, seven, eight chapters of this story. If you were here for the first weekend of the message series, I got up front in the beginning of my message, I said, listen, if you came to church today hoping for an uplifting message, sorry, you're not going to get it. Because in order for the celebration of Purim that happens at the end of the story, in order for that to be as joy-filled as it actually is, we have to enter in the pain and the suffering and the hardship of what happens at the beginning of the story. And the same is true for our lives. There's something about this idea that just rings true to me. The degree to which we're willing to enter pain is the degree to which we're able to experience joy. Something about that rings true to me. Here's the rest of what's going on inside me when I say this. I know, I know that I resist entering pain with pretty much everything I have. And when it comes to physical pain, we learn really early on in life, avoid pain, avoid pain, avoid. If if you touch something that is hot, don't touch it anymore. Avoid it. But when it comes to emotional or relational or psychological or spiritual pain and suffering and hardship, if we try to avoid it, it robs us of joy. 
If we try to avoid our pain, it robs us of joy. So Jesus says, receive the kingdom as a little child, a little child who feels all the feels, who's able to experience whatever they're feeling. Allow God to enter into that. Return to a place of freedom and grace so that you can be born again, so that you can experience joy, so you can experience celebration. You know what the Bible says happens anytime one sinner repents of their sin? There's a party in heaven. I wonder if this is one of the sins we need to repent of, uh, our, our unwillingness to enter into pain. Maybe there's some other sin you need to repent of, but a part, what I want you to understand is when we repent and we say we've been going the wrong way and God, I want to go your way, it leads to joy. Joy in heaven, but also joy in our lives. So when everything is awesome, like it is at the end of Vacation Bible School Week, we pause and we celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of God. And when everything is not awesome, we enter into that. We invite God to enter into that so that healing and salvation can come. One more clip from this movie and we'll sing our closing song. Take a look. All right, here you go. Your new expanded console is up and running. Oh, upgrade. Ooh. Hey. Oh, whoops. Wait, did I just do that? Hey, guys, what's puberty? I don't know. It's probably not important. Whoa, I have access to the entire Curseword library. This new console is done. Sorry, I did it again. My bad. You're getting to the rink. Now, when you get out there, you be aggressive. I know, Dad. I'm not too aggressive. You know, you guys don't have to come to every game. Are you kidding? I'm not missing one. Go, Fuck Go, Riley! Oh. Okay, okay. Oh. I gotta go. They love us. Yeah, Mom and Dad are pretty cool. Guys, of course they are. But we can't show it. Yeah. She loved the face painting. I told you it was a great idea. Best idea he's had in a while. He's a really good guy. Just in case. Oh. Uh, sorry. Girl. 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 Uh, okay. Bye. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So, Lord, we do want to thank you uh, for this week. We thank you for all the people we've met, all the lives that have been touched by you, uh, your grace, your love, your joy, your spirit. And we pray that you would give us that spirit of joy and celebration, uh, not just this day, but that you would build it into us so that everywhere we go, no matter who we are with or where we are, uh, we could be people that people start looking at and going, ah, they're the Christians. They're the ones who are overflowing with joy. We need your help for that, so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.